listener emails and talking about astronomy on episode 400 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for everybody who likes going out under the stars. So, you know, we're talking about astronomy. We might as well record it and do a podcast, eh? Yeah, isn't that why we started this thing? I don't know. <laughs> we're like talking about astronomy and yeah, we, maybe we should just hit that little button that says record. So we were talking about the conditions last evening and I had asked if you'd gotten out and blah, blah, blah. So did you get out last night? And I did not. No. Uh, the conditions were looking a little questionable. Um, it, it was cloudy all day and then it broke uh, closer to supper time. Mm -hmm. um, but then as the sun was setting, uh, I noticed kind of on our, well, really all around us, uh, there was a lot of different waves of different cloud density, very high altitude. So I kind of thought either transparency would be poor or I would be fighting sucker holes. So mm -hmm. I did not go out, but, uh, other than that, I don't know that we've had many opportunities this last week. I'm, no. I'm fairly cloudy here. Um, so how yeah, about you, knows. Chris? Yeah, I, I. <laughs> I did some observing, but so what, what happened was I had thought about going out, um, but I'm still like kind of in a bit of recovery mode here from having a lot of asthma and just trying to like be a little bit cautious. And I noticed that there was a lot of moisture starting to form and I thought it might get foggy. And I've had this happen to me before where I've gone out on the prairie, um, when the conditions are like this and gotten totally socked in. And I really hate that. It just unnerves me to have to drive home in dense fog, mm -hmm. you know, because yeah, it's just, it's a little bit unnerving when you just can't see that far. I just don't like it. And it's like, you know, sometimes it's late, like midnight or 1am and I've been driving through like dense, dense, crazy dense fog. You don't know if there's animals or someone stopped or a truck or it just, I don't like it. So if, if there's a sign of fog like that. I, I avoid that. I'll, I'll go out and wind over fog, even in the winter, but yeah, that's not good. But I did have a call from Mike mm -hmm. because he was looking at the 27 hour moon and he said, Hey, are you looking at the moon? I said, no. And so I whoop, walked upstairs and yeah, I was able to see the uh, 27 hour old moon with uh, Mike, you know, on the phone and we we're chatting about it and oh, some cool. other things. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It is fun to catch those young moons whenever you can. Uh, they're, they're quite pretty. Yeah. I think that's the start of the lunar new years for some cultures, right? Uh, I think so, but, uh, I'm not super well versed in that. Neither am I. So I kind of just left it like that, but I do, do know it is Chinese new year yesterday or it was Chinese new year yesterday from when we're recording this. Of course, people that are not hearing this way in the future. And they're like, that wasn't yesterday. That was two weeks ago or something, but Anyway, we're a little mm -hmm. bit ahead of ourselves, but, uh, yeah, I've been doing some reading. So sort of strangely enough, cause we just had Chris Wilcox on, who's a bookstore owner. And so, uh, but I had been just doing a lot of reading anyway, trying to get less screen time in before bed and, uh, doing some practice sketching and using, uh, some books to help me with, uh, practice sketching. So that's been how I've been trying to get my, uh, Get my sketching on the go. I've kind of missed that quite a bit. Mm, yeah, right on. Yeah, I enjoy it. And uh, trying to work out this Mellish technique with the uh, white on black paper. Uh, I, I have my own way of doing it. And I tried to find Alexander Massey has done online tutorials, both video and just in forum posts and other places on his blog. 
and I just can't quite when I try to do it his way, it's it's not great. But I'm I'm like sworn to try to get it down his way before I finally settle. But I just find that um he's I think more of an artist for sure and more accustomed to going back and sharpening things like pencils and creating the pastel chalk and all this. Whereas for me, I uh I just like the ink so much for just the quickness of it. I just get really frustrated with too much sharpening. But uh, anyhow, maybe we'll like to have Alex on the show sometime. I've talked to him quite a bit over the past few years. And uh, anyhow, maybe maybe we'll see if he wants to come on and chat about the Mellish technique and sketching. So we'll find mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's see. We had a, I had a communication with uh, Royce on uh, Cloudy Night. So <laughs> what had happened was he... I just had run into a post because I I don't go on Cladonites too, too much, but I do go on from time to time and read through a bunch of posts. And I think you and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago and, and he had just been posting, he was talking about something and as a relative newcomer to astronomy and then had mentioned our podcast. So I just wrote and said, Hey, thanks for mentioning your podcast in, uh, in your post. Glad you're enjoying it. Uh, you know, good luck in your astronomy journey. So then he actually wrote back, um, with a very a very detailed reply. And so uh, if you don't mind, I will read that. And he had a question, then we can answer his question. Yeah, sounds good. So Royce goes on to say, um, thank you. Uh, you and Shane have given me so much inspiration to keep moving forward with astronomy these past few months since I've started observing. I've really enjoyed popping on an episode and feeling like I'm sitting in on a casual conversation amongst friends who also happen to be chock full of knowledge on a subject I'm so excited about. That's great. Glad you're enjoying it, Royce. And we do try to make it that way. We uh, just did a conversation with um, Chris, who owns a bookstore, and we always try to explain that to our guests, that this is just meant to be like a conversation. As we explained it to Chris, it's like Shane and I were driving along the highway and pulled in and stopped off at his store and just walked in the door and then had a conversation. And that's that's how we're always hoping it sounds. Mm-hmm. Royce goes on to say, I've always loved the idea of observing with magnification but was always intimidated by the unique lingo and gear. It was daunting to try and find a way to start making sense of it all. Your podcast really was the beginning of making it feel relatable. I come from an artistic background and the introduction of sketching along with nightly observation notes was also an exciting revelation. So thanks for that too. Quick sketching, quick sketching the messy objects has been a blast so far. Oh yeah. Cause I've been doing that too. That's uh, that's cool. So just doing quick sketches of the the messy objects. Uh, I had been working up the courage to send an email to you and Shane with these thoughts, along with some of the first observing pages. They're really not that interesting, though. This guy's from Oakland, where I observe my backyard in California. Leaves uh, much to be desired. Uh, people should not um, hesitate to write in. It's all good. Don't uh, don't feel like uh, Shane and I are any kind of highfalutin folks or nothing. <laughs> Just you know, put together your emails and and pop them along. Always happy to uh, to hear from people. Mm-hmm. So uh, he goes on to say, I also had a question that I haven't heard uh, many answers for yet. Uh, on your podcast or in Cloudy Nights, if you wouldn't mind sharing. What is your setup for sketching at the eyepiece? Currently, I'm sketching with a red headlamp on, sitting on a stool in front of my 10-inch daub using a small 6 by 8 black sketchbook perched on my knee. It's definitely not the most comfortable positions. I'm exploring options, but would love to hear your method of setup. Clear skies, Royce. 
Okay. So my setup, I'm almost reluctant to say it. Maybe that's why I haven't talked that much about it. It's because I've been working on what that setup is, and it's always a little bit in flux. But I'll say this, uh, using um, spiral-bound hard notebooks, that is the key because then I, I don't necessarily work as well using a clipboard, which I tried for a while. Not sure. Have you... Have you ever tried working from a clipboard versus just a notebook, Shane? Um, yeah, like at one point I had a clipboard at the eyepiece, but it was kind of big and bulky. And, you know, I'm not a sketcher. I like to um, just like write down what I'm Take seeing. Yeah. 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 And what where I've settled there, because that was like getting just a little like coiled notepad, like a, I don't even know what size that would be, like a three by five inch or something like that like it would kind of bend and it was, mm. it was a problem. So, um, there's a, there's a place in the United States, they make all sorts of weird and wonderful things. And one of them was, <laughs> people will probably laugh at me, but carbon fiber, uh, like covers for your like little three by five notepad and carbon fiber is exceptionally light, uh, very rigid. And also seems to be like, it doesn't, uh, conduct temperature the way metal does. So like in the cold, it's not going to, you know, freeze your hand, mm -hmm. but it provides like that solid base that I can easily now write on my notepad. And it's uh, just one of those little quality of life things that help me out. But, uh, what about you, Chris, do you enjoy, uh, using a clipboard or, or is that something you've uh, never tried? So I've tried clipboards and I don't enjoy them as much for a couple of reasons. I do like having the spiral bound books. The one that I use, this is my favorite one. Um, you can buy it online. It's the uh, Stillman and Burn, S-T-I-L-L-M-A-N, ampersand, B-I-R-N. And it's the Nova series black. They make all kinds of different ones. What makes this the sketchbook of choice for me? And I've tried lots of sketchbooks in the field. Let me tell you, I'm going to go and say into probably the two dozen range. And this one is the best. And the reason why is the paper has a very nice grain for sketching. Um, and they, they come in a variety of colors, whether you want to do, um, some people like to sketch their lunar on gray. They have a nice gray for that. They have black, which is what I like. They even have a tan, they have white. They, they make it in all the different kinds. Um, and that's good, but really for me, it's, the way the books open, mm -hmm. they beautifully uh, fold around the coil. They're not inexpensive. Um, I think the last one I bought was like 40 bucks, 50 sheets. You can sketch on both sides because it's high quality. So it gives you 100 pages to work with. Um, that should get you through at least uh, a couple seasons maybe. Um, for me, yeah, like a season, almost two seasons. And then... Um, just the hardness of the covers. Uh, you know, there's no bending. You cannot bend this book. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure you can, but you would probably have to like drive over it to bend it. Mm -hmm. uh, it is it is that solid and well-constructed. And the pages do not seem to be all that susceptible to doing up. So it is that is my sketchbook of choice. And one of the reasons why I like to have such a hard sketchbook, even harder than necessary, is that I use a um, clamp light 
for reading that I got from Amazon. Uh, you can look them up. They're it's just I don't even know what one I bought, but they come in amber lights, and you can use the amber light for planets. So if you're observing mm -hmm. and sketching planets or the moon, I would use the amber one. Or what uh, I've done for my deep sky observing, and because it's um, because it's meant for reading at night, it doesn't have those spectrums that can interfere with your like nighttime night vision kind of stuff. So it it already has that reduced, but it is a bit bright um, if you're not like in the city. So what I've done is I put a couple layers of red duct tape or cellophane or something over it to uh, to make it red and and very dim. And that uh, that seems to work very, very well. So it has one of the challenges if you just put red duct tape over things or like red filters is, and you probably know this already, and many of our listeners will as well, is that you still get this, I forget what bandwidth it is, but it's part of the bandwidth of light is still bleeding in that blue spectrum. Mm -hmm. But this already has that removed. So you can filter it in this manner without getting that uh, that bandwidth of light that does end up interfering with your night vision. And I can tell, because I do have some lights where I've just like thrown red over them and uh, and definitely it does impact your night vision a little bit still. Okay, good to know. So it's a clamp light. So it clamps on and then it has a little gooseneck so you can adjust it and move mm -hmm. it around quite a bit. And that is a huge game changer. I forget how much this thing costs, but I'm going to say they're like, $12 or something. They're not expensive, maybe $12 American. And I got to buy some more. I think that this, this is the way to sketch is you clamp that on, you put the duct tape on, and then you don't have to futz around with lights on your head or holding a light and trying to blah, blah, blah. And it's very light. Um, currently I was using about six by eight pads. I've moved to eight by nine pads and I may even move up another size. I've been playing around with like, uh, I think uh, nine by twelve or nine by eleven pads. So I might even go. I might even go that large. And then yeah. So that's how I do it. Is I have that. So it's all sort of just one thing. And then I wear pants that have a lot of pockets, and like they're heavy, like outdoor winter pants. And then I put my tools in those pants for the most part, and I kind of know where things are. And then I'm pulling them in and out of there to uh, to sketch with. So. Um, if you live in a warmer climate, maybe a pair of like cargo pants or whatever, like, I don't know, you, you can find lots of pants with pockets in them, like those big side pockets. And so I have a couple pairs of those that I'll, I'll wear in the summer when I'm observing. And yeah, it's, uh, it is a work in progress. One of the things, um, that I'm doing, Shane, I think I sent you some photos showing, I have like a chart table in the observatory. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I was thinking I had that built. They, they have this paper. This is like very a very strange design consideration. But that chart table is built to hold a particular size of paper, which is like, I figured, like the largest paper that I could ever conceivably use for sketching, um, which is 22 by 30. And so that chart table is just uh, a little bit larger than 22 by 30, I think. And I so I can sketch on that. But recently I've been thinking that I want to be able to sketch without getting up and turning around, which I would have to do for that. And it is primarily supposed to be a chart table. I really like, because it's an observatory, each thing should be for that thing and not necessarily for something else. So I've been toying with the idea of getting an easel 
because it easels are you can get some pretty expensive inexpensive easels and so for um for the sake of ease and simplicity i may get a large sketch board and fix it to the easel or get an easel that can hold my sketchbook and that way it would just be held right there and then i could just be observing and then just have my pens and brushes and chalk and just have it right there and then just turn and, and sketch. I think this might be the way to do it. So I've been touring around with this. I bought some of the stuff so far. And the great part is, Shane, this is so unbelievably inexpensive. If you buy the best sketchbook, the best light, the best easel, the best pens and all this stuff for doing, you know, all this stuff, you're, you're still in for only $200 American. <laughs> to buy like the best sketching setup you can think of. Oh, wow. Well, that's nice. You know, it, it, <laughs> sometimes the barrier to entry in this hobby can be, um, you know, financial and it can be significant. So yeah. something like that, um, isn't too bad relative to, you know, eyepieces and filters and all of the other stuff. And exactly. I, I also assume you probably don't need all $200 of, of those items on day one. You could probably work your way up a little bit. That's, that's right. And that's kind of what I've been doing. Um, like over the past two weeks, kind of working towards this, I've spent $30 or something mm -hmm. like that. And the other thing is some, some of the stuff that I'm getting is like, some of it is ridiculously inexpensive. And like, I get, I went to the shop yesterday cause I was looking for a particular kind of sharpener. And then the guy was giving me all this advice and he's really good. Like, um, there's an art store here called Black Dog Art Supplies. If you're in Regina or near Regina and you need any art supplies, you should go there for many, many reasons. One, the people there are actually artists and they know what they're talking about and they only get good stuff and they don't carry bad stuff uh, or crap. And then two is I've compared their prices to everywhere else. Other large art suppliers, online stuff, and their stuff is generally about 20% less expensive. <laughs> They do not sell online, unfortunate for those who aren't close to Regina because this place is pretty wicked. Anyway, so I went in and they were telling me about this sharpener, that sharpener. And then I looked at the prices and they were like $1.75 and $1.79. So I just said, oh, I'll just buy three of, I'll just get one of each one and they'll work. Like one of them's going to work. So anyway, so I just bought like a fistful of sharpeners and and uh, some other stuff there. But yeah, I got out of there for $13. Like this this is one of the cool aspects of the sketching is that, um, you know, probably I'm spending on average, like maybe like about $100 a year on sketching. Mm -hmm. And if you look at something comparable like Astro Imaging and whatever, you could be, you know, pretty easily into, well, I think that that, that in most inexpensive rig that sort of does everything for you is eight or nine hundred dollars out of the gate and if you do really get into it you're going to be buying some softwares and different things like that so yeah that's that's sort of what i'm doing with the sketching so i don't really have um a concise answer it's a work in progress and i keep toying around with it and i think that is the other nature of the of the sketching is that it, it allows for a lot of flexibility in, in how you do it it's pretty fun Right on. Still trying to convince Shane, but mm, yeah, that's uh, that's like pushing a rope up a hill. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, for me, it was something I always wanted to do. So, mm -hmm. but not like definitely not everybody does it, and it's definitely not for everybody. 
That's for sure. It's it's like I always think of it almost as in a way like a separate hobby within the hobby because it is like that in that way. But it's fun. Well, and if it, you enjoy it, that's that's the key part, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's really relaxing and you know, I do like even just I was sketching last night even inside just uh working on technique um using some of Bernard's stuff. So, yeah, it's cool. All right. Uh had an email from Ernie. Did you want to take this one away? Sure. Uh, so he says, hello, Chris and Shane. We had our first clear night since December 14th. Uh, and this was on, I think Saturday, February 3rd. Um, uh, the local months. Yeah, that's wild. Uh, the local astronomy club I belong to, which is uh, Buffalo Astronomical Association has a dark sky observatory about 45 to 50 minutes Southeast of Buffalo in rural farm country. Do you ever see the telescope those guys have there? No, no. What you is should it? like, this is just total sidetrack. Ernie's not talking about this in the email. People should just Google the Buffalo Astronomical Association. Now to be confused with the British Astronomical Association, because they go both go by the BAA. But at this um, observing site, they have just southeast of Buffalo. They've got this uh, property there. And it is like if... If you and your astronomy friends went out to the pub one night and designed like the perfect observing facility, this is it. Hmm. And it's no joke. People should go and take a look. There's some pretty cool ones, but mm -hmm. anyway, keep, keep yep, going. I'll check it out. Yeah, you should um, definitely Google that. Yeah. So Ernie goes on to say, uh, we have a small but active group of imagers. Uh, we call ourselves the Tuesday night imagers, but Tuesday night can end up being any night of the week. Uh, well, Tuesday night was Saturday night for that week. We gathered at the observatory. Three of us ran scopes under our roll off roof. Others set up their own gear, uh, had a good mix of gear, including smart scopes, wide field imaging setups and visual observing setups. Uh, we installed my camera, which was a ZWO ASI 2600 MC Pro, uh, and that was installed on the club Celestron 14 inch, uh, edge HD, uh, with a 0.7 times focal reducer, which rides on an astrophysics AP 1200 mount. That's a nice setup. Um, we decided on M1 for our target and decided to use my Optolong uh, L extreme dual narrow band filter. Uh, it took us a while to get things running. Uh, the observatory had not been used since December 14th. Uh, we got about two hours of imaging on M1 before losing it, uh, to the muck near the horizon. Seeing was good, but transparency was significantly degraded around 1130 PM. The resulting images are attached. Uh, they were processed in PixInsight by me. Uh, one is an HOO image and the other is a simulated SHO or Hubble palette. Uh, I like the HOO the best, Ernie said. And then, uh, while imaging, while the imaging setup was collecting photons, I was able to get outside and check out everyone's setup. One of our members who happens to be a very talented imager was set up for visual observing with his Teleview NP 101. I don't recall them out but we were looking through a 12 millimeter Nagler when I was out there. M42 was spectacular, uh, fantastic extension on the nebula. He also shared the winter Alberio. I think it's H3945 or something similar. Uh, absolutely beautiful. Uh, to my eye, the larger of the pair was more orange yellow uh, and the smaller one was blue. 
It was after midnight and after imaging M1, we removed the dual band, uh, or sorry, the dual narrow band filter and got 21 minutes on the supernova in NGC 4216, which is supernova 2024GY. Uh, this is a type 1A supernova in a galaxy that's in Virgo, uh, which occurred a few weeks ago. Uh, still fairly bright at magnitude 13.3. Uh, two images are attached, one with notation. Uh, we started to lose our skies and it was getting late, so we stopped imaging around 1am so that we could close up the observatory and make the long drive home. Sorry if this is too long. I uh, hope you're both doing well. Enjoy the podcast. Thanks for doing it. Clear skies from Ernie. Thanks, Ernie. But by the way, I went in and tried to, but their um, the Buffalo Astronomical Association, their website isn't resolving. I just sent Ernie an email. Hopefully Ooh. it'll be up by the time. I'm sure it will be because I've been on their website before. It's just not resolving properly through the uh, through their router. So I sent him a note. I'm sure it'll be fixed by the time this goes live. Mm -hmm. Cool. I want to um, send it to you now. Yeah, sounds like a fun night. And I, I know what it's like to be clouded out for what seems like an eternity. And then to, to be able to get out and observe is almost like a rebirth. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I can imagine the excitement and it's, it's great that they have, you know, sort of an, uh, like a, an active group of, of observers, uh, as well as imagers. Uh, I think that's really neat. And, you know, while you and I don't do imaging, Chris, um, or very little of it, I do enjoy when some of the imagers are around, uh, especially, you know, I'll, I'll try to figure out what they're, uh, imaging and then I'll mm -hmm. do some visual observing of that object that night. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, you know, if, if I can get a copy of the image, it's kind of fun yeah. to just have a, have that as something, you know, a bit of a record, I guess, of, of the night. Yeah. Kind of brings some meaning to it. I always mm -hmm. like that. I, I've enjoyed that many times as well, especially I think there's been a few nights where you've, you've been out even taking some photos and I've always enjoyed seeing those while we were maybe even looking at some of the same or different things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, Adam sent some uh notebook photos just it was just like a short email thanks so much for that adam uh showing some of the different cool notebooks we have at least one of those at our local art store but the other ones i didn't see i thought about asking them if they would get them in but i have a lot of asks for my local art store so i don't want to annoy them too much but uh they've been pretty good about getting in the uh black sketchbooks that i like so yeah it's yeah, it's one of those things, but, uh, yeah, those are some pretty cool ones. There was one, it was maroon. They're all like astronomically themed. Um, they might be, did you see those Shane or did he just send them to me? Um, I don't think I saw them. Okay. Um, Let me see I've, I'm a little behind in our that, that's actual okay. astronomy email, so I may have missed it. Let me just see, because this might actually be a little bit, uh, oh yeah, no, he sent them to both of us, but, uh, it was sent on Feb 9th. So it was just sent um at lunch on friday but these there's one here so we have the one there's one that has like the sun and then saturn and other planets around but there was one that just says the universe on it and anyway it's like embossed and that sort of thing quite like that one looks a little bit uh vintage like late 1800s kind of thing i thought that one might uh even oh. both them if you're for taking your notes, I'm not sure how you're doing your notes these days, Shane, but they look like really good notebooks. Sorry, was that the, like the hardcover? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, I did see seen, those. Those yeah. are beautiful. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, Adam was saying that he thought he might use them for the REC observing programs like Messier and others. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can sketch them too. I'm sure they look like, you know, it's high quality paper. They look like nice little books, but who put them out? Uh, Peter Popper Press, mm -hmm. um, fine gifts since 1928, Celestial Journal. This learner covers reproductions, uh, goat skin binding, created in book binding. So they're reproductions, I guess, in 1933. So they do look pretty vintage. Uh, price I must be in Canadian because I think he's in Canada. $16. So not too bad. Mm -hmm. They do have some similar ones. I don't think now that because I went to my art store yesterday, I thought it was the same as one of these. But they might have, they might have one, uh, it's similar to this over at the art store. But I don't think it's the same one now that I'm looking at it. Hmm. Very cool. Anyway, are you are you using like a regular journal now or? For my observing notes? Yeah. Uh, I'm just using a little like three by five uh, coil notepad. Oh. Okay. And uh, my process is just like it's simple. So I, you know, I write down my, my notes for the night. I come in, I transcribe that into the computer. So I have a, a permanent... Uh, digital record. And then I just tear out the uh, written pages and they go into the recycling. And then next time I'm out, I just open up my pad and the first page is blank and I start writing down my notes for that night. Okay. All right. And uh, just want to read this short. Do you want to read the one from Kevin here about places people can go see the eclipse? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Kevin says, hi, Chris and Shane, love your podcast. Uh, in regard to your eclipse episode, you may want to publicize for folks who can make it. Uh, the Illinois uh, Department of Natural Resources runs the World Shooting Complex in Sparta, Illinois. They have over 1,000 campsites, and as of last week, 541 were still available at $20 mm -hmm. US per night. You won't find a cheaper accommodation than that, uh, on the total eclipse no. <laughs> path. That's awesome. Uh, so he says, I watched the 2017 eclipse from there. Uh, the horizons are almost totally clear. There will be, I believe two minutes and 59 seconds of totality. Uh, chance of cloud is 57%. I never understood the price gouging in Texas as the cloud or sorry, as the chance of cloud there ranges from 49% to 59%. Uh, Sparta, Illinois is nearby the St. Louis metro area. We're about four and a half to five hours drive southwest of Chicago. Uh, I will be watching a little further southwest at Fort Kaskaskia uh, State Park on the Mississippi River. Kaskaskia Kaskaskia State Park. Yeah, I don't know. Never heard of it. Mm. On the Mississippi River. Yeah. Mark Twain country. Yeah. So there's a good option for some folks if you're near, I guess, uh, Sparta, Illinois. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, uh, Kevin in Chicago. Yeah. I would, yeah, that would be, see, see options like that. I'm really interested in hearing about because, you know, basically I think they get a handful of seconds less total solar eclipse there, but it sounds like their chances of seeing it, you know, like you know, are within a shooting chance of, you know, perhaps being almost as good as Texas, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it comes back to that whole thing of, you know, sort of optimization, right? Like what is, you know, how, how good does it need to be to see it? Cause you could go to some of those really expensive places in Texas and still not see it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, that's true. 
Ben sent an email. Hi, Chris and Shane. Thanks for continuing to continuing to do the podcast. Well, thanks for you, Ben, for writing in, because if you and other people didn't write to us, we wouldn't do as many. In fact, mm-hmm. if people didn't write to us, Shane, I don't, we wouldn't still be doing this. There's no way. Yeah, probably not. Are you crazy? We would not be doing this podcast if people didn't write in. That wouldn't happen. Uh, because people give us the content or sometimes are the content. All right. Uh, ben goes on to say, I've been listening since episode one and still look forward to tuning in twice a week. I still love Big Dobsonians and hope for another episode with Big Dob 20 plus inch viewing reports and discussions. We have a person Ooh, yeah. in Australia who has a 24 inch telescope and he is coming on the show in a month. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Uh, yep. You and I live quite vicariously through these big aperture observers and I love talking to them. Yeah. I keep thinking, should I do know somebody with a 22 inch, I should go observe with them. They're just a few hours away. Maybe this spring we shall see. We shall see. And maybe we should get Eric. I should let Eric know that, um, Alistair and Mike and I, and you, if you're free, um, first week of May, I think we're going to try to go to East Block, but I don't think it's open yet. So we're just going to go and camp wherever and observe there. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Ben goes on to say, uh, I have taken a few weeks, or it has taken me a few weeks uh, to find time to share with you some of the items I have recently purchased. Uh, firstly, just for Christmas, I bought three two-inch eyepieces. I had a Teleview 21-millimeter ethos on my wish list for a number of years, uh, but I've never been able to justify the cost. In Australia, they are 1800 uh, UAD, and the ethos has a 100-degree field of view, which I prefer through my 16- and 20-inch daubs. So decided to purchase an APM uh, XWA HDC hyperwide 20 millimeter nine element 100 degree two inch eyepiece. I picked it up for 330 on sale. A friend used to have the 20 millimeter APM and the 21 millimeter ethos side by side, and through a 24 inch, the difference was negligible. And many on the Cloudy Nights forums have also said as much. A few years ago, I bought my 20-inch and the seller threw in an almost full set of batter Morpheus eyepieces in the batter case. The only one from the set missing was the 17.5. The seller had substituted the 17.3 Delos from Teleview. For the sake of having the complete set, I decided to buy the Morpheus uh, when one came up on Ice in Space, which is like Australia's equivalent to Cloudy Nights, which I do go on and read. It's... um, you know, every place is different. And I like that's where Alexander Massey has posted his Mellish technique. So that's a good spot for people to check out too. He says the seller was also selling a batter 68 degree Mark for universal zoom eyepiece. And since I've never given a zoom eyepiece any thought, but it played him on my mind for a few days, I decided to buy it after making uh, a slightly cheeky offer. He accepted. Uh, both eyepieces arrived in new condition in their original boxes. A friend of mine picked up and posted them to me. When I opened the parcel, I discovered he had thrown in a Parks GS5 10 millimeter, one and a quarter inch eyepiece, probably a Plossel. I have no idea what it is, but happy to add another one to the pack. So I ended up having four new eyepieces. Happy days. So he goes on to say, uh, finally, um, final item. 
was a Skywatcher star adventurer to my setup and started playing around with it and exposures for constellations went on a polar finding and alignment expedition to find sigma octanus and he said despite all my efforts um he ran into some trouble but i guess you have to get them like modified or something so he's uh waiting to uh be able to use that to full effect uh it goes on to say what a christmas it was i got four eyepieces for half the price of a 21 millimeter ethos and yeah looking forward to doing some images thanks so much for that ben we really appreciate it yeah yeah that's pretty cool all right mark should and take, two, go yeah, ahead should, should i do the next one yeah yeah sure. i don't think we re, oh we should say i don't think we responded to mark or unless you did no i did not so so this here, will be here's our a response. live response yeah <laughs> yeah live response Okay, uh, so Mark said, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I am coming into this hobby relatively late in life. I will be 64 this summer and started my backyard astronomy interests in 2021. Before this, my spare time was spent as a frustrated musician. In recent years, I've sold off a lot of my musical ballast to raise money for astronomy equipment. My main scope is an Aptura 8-inch F6 Dobsonian. My original scope, which was bought for me as a gift, is an Orion 130 meter F5 equatorial. Uh, the daub is great for views and short exposures with my Pixel phone. Uh, the EQ has an aftermarket clock drive, which sometimes helps with longer exposure shots, but I'm primarily using that scope for filtered solar and lunar viewing. The clock drive is more of a convenience feature. Uh, the daub I have fashioned uh, with an old Android phone that has Astro Hopper installed on it. The phone is Velcroed to the OTA. Uh, that, along with the Telrad and a variety of charts uh, that I have, do well to help me find a wide variety of objects. However, my section of Tucson has gone from Bortle 4 to a Bortle 5 just in the short time we have lived here. An hour's drive to Oracle, Arizona gets me to a low Bortle 3. I'm reasonably reasonably content with my current rig. The only real addition I can foresee is getting a Dwarf 2 or some other small scope dedicated for astrophotography. They have a decent price point and the results I'm seeing online are more than satisfactory. While I realize that astronomy doesn't have the same budgetary considerations as say watercolors, I still marvel at the nonchalant manner so many amateur astronomers discuss what I know is equipment which is much beyond my level of disposable income. I attach pictures of my two scopes, plus a very old school astronomy tool I've recently bought. Uh, I discovered your podcast uh, only several weeks ago, and it's a welcome relief from the true crime or political themes most podcasts seem to be these days. Keep up the good work. Thanks from Mark. Um, Mark. Yeah, and you know, the the hobby of astronomy is, is you know, I kind of compare it to golf, actually, where, you know, golf, you can spend couple hundred dollars on some clubs or thousands and thousands of dollars. And then, you know, the accessories, whether it's your shoes or your golf balls or whatever it might be also have pretty wide variances in cost. And certainly astronomy can become very expensive very quickly. Uh, and, and even more so if you're going to be doing astrophotography, but what I do appreciate about astronomy is that for really just a few hundred dollars, you can get a telescope that, uh, 
uh, is the only one you'll ever need. And, mm -hmm. you know, you can use it for a, a lifetime. Uh, and an eight inch daub is certainly in that class. Um, you know, they, they're a wonderful telescope as you and I have commented many, many times. Yeah. I mean, you can just live with an eight inch daub for the rest of your life. I know people who have, I know people that have done astronomy for like decades, mm -hmm. um, and produce some amazing work. I know Michael Gatto, who is our graphic designer at the RESC, and he's been using an 8-inch F7 for as long as I've known him, which is since the early 90s. And it's a beautiful instrument. He does some of the best sketches that I've ever seen. Inspired me, really, to get into the astronomical sketching way back when. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, hard to believe. Like, yeah, just out here with my 8-inch dob kind of thing doing doing my thing seeing what it can show and that's it that's that's how he rolls you know bought that telescope once eh, check that off the list and now looking at the whole universe with it mm -hmm. yeah no there's nothing wrong with that at all speaking of looking at the universe had a great uh, email here from uh Michael Wright. Uh, Michael Wright is the president of the RASC Kitchener Waterloo Center and a frequent correspondent of ours over the past couple of years I've gone in even had uh, dinner with Michael and a bunch of my other friends in Kitchener-Waterloo. And yeah, always, always nice to hear from him. He goes on to say, uh, hi guys. Thank goodness. We finally got some clear skies last night. Uh, this is last weekend. I went to Moncton to the crossroads just southeast of the observing site. Line 58 is unserviced in winter beyond road 148. So it was snowed in. And I know those roads well because I used to observe there along with three other guys from the Kitchener-Waterloo Center of the Royal Astronomical Society. The conditions were very favorable, not quite transparent a night um, where I was out observing the Fornax cluster, but it was pretty good overall. There was little to no wind and the seeing was good and the viewing was comfortable for winter. We stayed out for about three and a half hours. I arrived first and set my sights in the Orion Nebula and all the gems nearby the Iota Orionis Cluster, NGC 1980, which is, that's just beside, uh, or just above the Orion Nebula, I think, uh, was a delight and the faint wisp of reflection nebulosity surrounding it. Further south, the reflection nebula at 1999, NGC 1999, was very nice at high power due to the good seeing. A hazy corona was visible around V380 Orionis, uh, do you know which one that is? I should have looked it up. Not offhand, no. I know all these other things, but that one I didn't. I spent a little time trying to see the Fornax cluster again, but only NGCs at 1399 and 1365 were faintly visible. Uh, a young man from Stratford who used to live in Kitchener-Waterloo arrived to do some astrophotography, and Michael helped him set up his gear and gave him the climb contact. I spent a little time looking at Jupiter and then moved to the winter Milky Way. My main targets for the night were the, and this, I think this was directed at me because I sent him my observations of the seagull and Thor's mm -hmm. helmet back in the autumn when I was observing them. And so he did his observations of them with the 12 inch. So I really enjoyed that, Shane. Yeah, that's pretty cool to have the comparison. 
Yeah, so the Seagull Nebula was difficult but rewarding to tease out from the background glow of the Milky Way. There were a number of small clusters and double stars and reflection nebulae all involved together, so it was fun to spend some time at different magnifications, both with and without filters. Thor's helmet was a much easier target, and indeed I suspect that I could have picked it up in my four and a half inch if I had known it was accessible to it. The head part... And one of the two wings were pretty easy to see. And the more northern wing and some of the haze uh, from the west, uh, you know, sort of impeded its visibility. But he did eventually tease it out. Uh, his friend, Michael's friend, uh, observed a bunch of the uh, messages. M81, 82, 42, 43, 79, 36, 37, 38, 44, 50, and 93. So I imagine he had a peek a look uh, took a peek a, and a look at all those well they were observing and eventually uh, the fog rolled in and started to frost over their equipment and he's saying that he has to invest in some sort of dew heating technology so that he doesn't have to pack up so early uh, but he did pack up and then did a little binocular astronomy with his uh, vortex diving back 10 by 50s he goes on to say I hope many others were able to observe last night I have attached sketches of the two nebulae cheers Michael yeah so his sketches so first of all his sketch his sketches were made with his 12 inch and I noticed that his sketch of Thor's helmet looked more like the Thor's helmet sort of images and sketches I've seen my telescope I couldn't get that part that he, he was struggling a little bit to see so mine doesn't look like Thor's helmet per se but I was the neb the main nebula area is pretty bright I don't think he'd have any trouble seeing it in his uh, four and a half inch and then the uh, Seagull nebula portion what I noticed about his sketch which was uh, interesting is that he was able to see like a few more stars and a little bit more detail in his 12 inch. Mm -hmm. Uh, however, I think because of his fog and then, it, or it could also be a combination of the fog, like low transparency combined with the increased magnification of the 12 inch, he got the main center line. Um, but then I think uh, some of the fog was impeding some of the more subtle nebulae that, that sits to the North and, uh, East. There's there's some very subtle nebula. So I really I'm hoping he goes back to take another another crack at the seagull there. But yeah, he definitely captured more detail than I did in sort of the specific components that he that he uh, that he sketched. Um, but that is one of the things with with the larger apertures. You do have to kind of sweep the field. Whereas for me in the five inch, I can just fit most of it in the same field at the same time i think but even i was having to sort of pan around and center things it mm -hmm. uh, it's a bit of that that definitely is way up there on the on the challenge objects list for sure so but uh good on you michael for taking a look and love the sketches as always you're you're much much more of an artist than i will ever be so i love it right on yeah cool anything to uh, add to this one shane no sir that is all i have all right. Well, listeners, please subscribe, share the show with other stargazers you know, and send us your show ideas, observations, and questions to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.